Thank you, Ashley. In case you guys are wondering, yes, we, we have plans to do something about all of this. Um, we uh, have been looking over the last several weeks during Lent, we've been looking at these, uh, these incidents uh, in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life where he is... Um, sorry. Where he is be suffering at the hands of individuals. We've seen him suffer at the hands of his friends because they failed him uh, in the garden. We, we saw that uh, one of his best friends even did, uh, betrayed him and had him arrested and set up this fiasco that he was undergoing. One of his friends denied him after saying, I promise I will be with you right till the very end. We saw how the religious leaders, they rejected him and they wanted nothing to do with him. And then last time we saw that the law, the, that Pilate, who represented the civil government of the time, wasn't there for him at all either. They, he washed his hands of him. He wanted nothing to do with him. He couldn't get justice. And we pick up the story today, and what we see is that everybody else failed Jesus too. Everybody. There's four groups of people in this passage that we are introduced to. We're introduced to the soldiers, we're introduced to the religious leaders again, and the crowd or the passers-by, and we're introduced to these rebels or these, these criminals. And what we see is that each group of people represented here rejects Jesus. But what we also realize is that though they reject him for different reasons, underneath it all, they reject him for the same reason. They reject him for the same reason. They all have the same problem with Jesus. And so we're just going to go through these different groups and, and discover what we can learn and see how uh, perhaps we may or may not have rejected Jesus for the same reasons as well. So, beginning, first of all, with the soldiers, uh, Pilate, after he gives up, on, uh, gives up on Jesus and decides he wants nothing to do with him, his wife had told him, I had a dream that said, have nothing to do with this man, and so he literally said, I want nothing to do with this man. He just handed him over to the crowd. If you think about it, it's kind of insane. He said, I'm going to hand Jesus over to the soldiers. You're going to do with him what you want. You want him crucified, fine. I'm going on lunch break, or I'm going, I'm going to the movies, or whatever. I'm out. I'm not involved. He hands them, Jesus, over to the soldiers, and it's their job to mete out the punishment that has been pronounced upon Jesus. But they don't just do that, they do a lot more. They decide to have a lot of fun with Jesus, right? So they dress him up in this scarlet robe, and they, they take this, these thorns, and they fashion a crown of thorns, and they slam it down on his head. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the thorn bush that they used was, a, was the kind that had these long thorns that are between one and two inches long. And we're not talking just, you know, like your rose bush thorns. Some of you maybe have gone hiking in, uh, uh, in the peak, on the peak or somewhere here in Dundas, a lot of places to do that, and you'll, you'll discover that there are these kinds of thorns with these really long thorn, uh, these thorn bushes with these really long thorns on them. And if you've ever pricked your finger on them, they hurt like the blazes, don't they? Now imagine, imagine these thorns being fashioned into this kind of wreath and someone slamming that down on your head so that these, these individual thorns, they don't just stick in your skin, they pierce in your skin and they go in and they're under your skin all the way down here. 
That's what we're talking about when we say that Jesus uh, was, was given a crown of thorns. And then once they've done that, then uh, as the blood is pouring down on his face, they start to spit at him and they call him names. and They bash his face in a little bit and they say, Hail, King of the Jews. And they're trying to be funny. This is supposed to be funny, okay? At least that's what they thought, that this was hilarious. Because they're making fun of Jesus because he's supposed to be a king. And clearly to them, he's not. In verse 37, it says that above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Ha, 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 ha. The irony is, is that Jesus is a king. He is the king of the Jews. And in fact, he's the king of the universe, but they don't see it. To them, he doesn't look like a king at all because he's not what a king's supposed to look like. A king is supposed to be regal, commanding, strong. They represent power. Did you know that one of the things that that annoyed the British people about Prince Charles was that he didn't seem kingly? He's not very good looking. Like, let's face it, he's not very good looking. He's, he's kind of, you know, big ears like me and kind of a big nose. And, and, and he doesn't seem very kingly. Because a king is supposed to have a commanding presence. Jesus is not powerful. He's not commanding. He's not impressive in any way. In fact, this whole passage is de- designed to show you just how weak and pathetic Jesus actually is. He can't even take his cross piece. Oh, I'm going to, okay. He can't even take his cross piece for his, his cross, you know, the part that his hands are going to be nailed to. He can't even put that on his shoulder and carry it out of town the way the other guys do. Everybody did that, but not Jesus. He couldn't do it because he was weak. He's pathetic. He's not a king. And so what that means is the soldiers, they missed it. Okay, they missed it. They missed who he really was. Everybody's going to miss who he really was. And the soldiers certainly missed who he really was. And that leads us to the religious leaders and the crowd. Now, these are the Jews, the Jewish leaders who know the Bible, who uh, know the Old Testament, who know the prophecies about the Messiah, and these are the passers-by. These are Jewish people as well who, are, who go to synagogue and, and uh, to various degrees. They practice the Jewish religion. They may not know it really well, but they at least know the prophecies about the Messiah. And they're mocking Jesus too, not because he's not a king, but because he's not a Messiah. The section verses 39 to 43 shows them making fun of him like crazy, right? It says, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, listen, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourselves. He wasn't going to destroy the temple. We talked about that already, right? He said, if you destroy this temple... I will raise it again in three days. He was talking about himself. He wasn't talking about the building. But anyhow, they get it wrong and they make fun of him for that. And then they say, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. And in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, hey, I am the son of God. In other words, they're looking at Jesus and they're like, look at you with, you know, all your big promises. Big man with big promises. 
Look at you now. Where are your promises now? Big talk coming out of you, Jesus. And now look at you. You know, you, the Son of God is supposed to save His people. You can't even save yourself. You can't even keep yourself out of trouble, let alone anybody else. But, but here's the thing. They say, they say, come down and we will believe in you. And, and probably on some level, they would. Like, if, if Jesus just sort of had those nails pop out of His hands and pop out of His feet, and He hopped down from that cross, and He like, I don't know, in superhero fashion, like, knocked out all the soldiers and, and, and dis- all destroyed all his enemies, I'm sure that they would believe Jesus sort of on some level. But they wouldn't have believed in the Messiah that they needed. Because they're missing it. They don't realize that Jesus came to be the sin bearer. He came down to bear their sin. And if he were to come off that cross and save himself, it's true. He wouldn't be able to save them. They don't get it. They say he, sa- he, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And that's actually, ironically, the truth. Because Jesus couldn't save himself if he was going to save others. Because he died as a substitute. See, the gospel is that, that it's either us or him. It cannot be both. It's either Jesus dies in our place or we die in our place. You cannot have both. I know that there are people who do not like the cross. They don't like the the crucifixion. It's gory. It's weird. They say to themselves, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? And why all this blood and gore, etc.? And what they don't understand is, is that Jesus had to die. And the reason Jesus had to die is because sin deserves death. Our problem, friends, is that we do not get the sinfulness of sin. We don't get how serious sin is. See, what we do is we look at behavior and we say, you know, I'm not so bad. My behavior isn't so bad. Yeah, okay, I can be short with my kids sometimes. Or maybe, you know, I lie to my parents and I stay out a little longer after curfew than I'm supposed to. Or, you know, I I made a little money on the side this year and I didn't claim that on my taxes or whatever. Ah, sue me. Like, come on, to err is human, right? Everybody, we we all fib and, 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 and we all cheat like a little bit, even if it's just like cheat playing euchre, you know, table talk. I guess that's a sin, but come on, that's not serious. That's not like really, really bad, right? We look at this behavior and we think, I'm, I'm a good person who screws up a little bit. That's basically how we see ourselves. But the Bible says, no, 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 you're far, far worse than you think you are. You don't act on every evil impulse you have, and thank God you don't act on every evil, evil impulse you have. But you have the propensity, you have the capacity for evil that is absolutely almost infinite. I remember when I was a teenager, I was at a party, and a guy threatened me at this party. He was going to beat me up. And I'm not very big now, and I was even smaller then. And so I did not want to fight, and I didn't want to uh, go toe-to-toe with this guy, even though he was probably just about the same size as me. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Okay? And so I did what I've done all my life, and that's I used my mouth, as, talked as fast as I could to get out of that thing. 
And I did get out of that thing. Praise the Lord. But then I went home, and I'm lying in bed at night, and I did what every scrawny little kid does, and that is I fantasized about being a kung fu master or being huge. And I know this, I mean, I'm playing it up to get laughs. I like laughs. And it is kind of funny, but, you know, I was laying there. I, in my head, I beat this guy within an inch of his life. Six ways from Sunday, I had him flayed, and I showed no mercy. And it shocked me. I was like, man, it's a good thing I'm not a kung fu master, and it's a good thing I'm not six foot four, 240, solid muscle, because if you were to unleash this fantasy on, in that body, I could probably kill somebody. I didn't realize the capacity for anger I have. And friends, don't you ever have it where a, a thought goes through your mind and you think to yourself, oh, did I just think that? That was me? No, 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 that wasn't me. That was the devil put an idea in my head. It didn't come from me. It couldn't have come from me. Charles Spurgeon said, that evil is like an acorn. An acorn is just this little thing, right? But inside an acorn is everything needed to produce a whole forest of oak trees. Now, thankfully, very few acorns actually do produce a whole forest of oak trees. But sin works the same way in our hearts. Inside our hearts which are like acorns. There is an infinite capacity for sin. And God in His kindness restrains that. But it's there. And it deserves death. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said, I am going to take that on myself. By not saving Himself, Jesus saves us. The just dying for the unjust. That's the gospel, okay? And they didn't get it. They didn't get it because to them, a dying Messiah made absolutely no sense. Just like to the soldiers, a dying king makes absolutely no sense. You know, uh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago now, I think it is, a movie came out called The Matrix. Now, I'm going to do a spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen it yet, it's been 25 years, so that's your fault, Okay. And there's a character in it called Neo, and he's the one, all right? He's supposed to be the Messiah in the movie. He's the one who's going to overthrow the oppressive computer regime that they're living under, and I won't explain all that, but he's the one. And there's a bad guy in this movie, and this bad guy has an opportunity to kill Neo. He has him in a very vulnerable situation, and he has an opportunity to, to kill him. And he has this dialogue. He says, you know... If he's the one, I couldn't kill him. And I'm about to kill him. And once I do kill him, I will prove to you that he's not the one because the Messiah, the one, can't die, you see. He can't accomplish what he was brought into the world to accomplish. And of course, like just before he does the thing to pull the plug to kill him, he gets fried by somebody else and the one survives. Yeah, that's the spoiler. He's the chosen one. Because the chosen one can't die. And here in this story, we see the chosen one dying on a cross. And they missed it. 
accomplishing their salvation in the very thing that they said disproved their salvation. And then, of course, there's one more group. There's the rebels. And they mock Jesus, too. In verse 44, it says... Um, where does it say it? Oh, yeah. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on them. Now, these rebels, why do they heap insults on Jesus? I mean, they're not... They're not rejecting Jesus because he's not a king or because he's not a, a, a messiah. You know what the issue is for the rebels? Jesus doesn't give them what they want. Matthew says that they hurled insults at him. And you've got to think to yourself, how vicious do you have to be? Here you are in pain. Like they're experiencing the same thing as Jesus. They're nailed to this thing. They're, they're dying. And, and they're somehow able to gather up enough energy to mock Jesus. Where does this viciousness come from? Where does this bitterness come from? Where does this hatred come from? Well, Luke helps us because Luke says that one of the rebels says to Jesus, uh, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. In other words, I will believe in you if you get me out of here, if you get me on this, off this cross. Jesus, I have a need I know there's all this talk about whether you're a Messiah or a king. Frankly, I don't care about that right now. I have a felt need that I need answered in the, morning, in the moment. I am bleeding. I am suffocate, suffocating. I am dying. Yes, you've made claims, and yes, you've done miracles. That doesn't really matter to me right now. What matters to me right now is you can get me off this cross. Get me out of here. It's so natural, eh, if you think about it, really. Look, there are people here this morning who don't believe in Jesus for the same reason or, or barely believe in Jesus for the same reason. You, you turn to God like in a hard time and you say, God, are you there? If you're there, here's how you can show me that you're there. Get me out of this mess. And then he doesn't do it. And you're gone. You're gone. I've known people who have told the story. Get me off this cross, God. And God, in his wisdom, he said no. Or he said not yet. And people have said in response to that, see, that's proof. God doesn't care or God's not there. I cannot believe in a God who would allow this to happen to me or allow this to happen to my loved one or allow this to happen to people in places around the world. They can't see past their pain, you see. They can't be objective. So they, they, they know that they hurt and they know that Jesus in their hurt is not coming through the way they want him to and so they miss it. And here's the thing that they miss and this is the most sad thing of all, they miss the fact that in his dying on the cross, Jesus entered into their suffering. That the Son of God experienced suffering like us. See, here's what makes Christianity unique, friends. 
out of all the religions in the world is that in Christianity alone, you have a God who understands your suffering. And you know why? His compassion for you in your suffering is not just rooted in some theoretical, omnipotent, uh, 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 cognitive ability to understand what suffering is because you're the almighty creator of the universe. No, no, no. That would have been enough. But that's not enough for our God. Our God says, I have, I have compassion for you in your suffering because I've experienced it. I know suffering intimately because I've experienced it. And so you in your suffering, you will never, ever, ever, ever suffer alone. That's what the cross proves. That Jesus cares about you more than you could ever imagine. Because he was willing to bear the cause of your suffering. See, sin is the cause of suffering. And Jesus took sin on his shoulders. Sin's the reason for our suffering. The world does not work the way it was meant to work. I already talked about how you're a perpetrator, right? You have the capacity to sin within your heart. But friends, you're victims too. Jesus knows that. You and I, we are all living with the consequences of not just our sin, but sin. Depression, anxiety, war, famine, starvation, environmental degradation, physical disability, cancer, heart attacks, dementia, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, all of it is a result of sin, and you are bearing the consequences of that. But the gospel is that Jesus came into this world to deal with the sin, so that one day he will deal with the consequences. He will. I know that some of you are barely hanging on by a thread, (laughs) but I am here to plead with you to believe the gospel that Jesus will one day take everything that has gone wrong in this world and he will make it untrue because he dealt with it on that cross. He endured the consequences of sin so that one day he will eradicate it altogether. I'm going to close with two things very quickly. You know what we see here? we see that everyone in this story agrees that the gospel makes no sense. They all have different reasons to reject it, but it all kind of boils down to this thing. It makes no sense. It just makes no sense. These are groups, if you think about it, they would never agree on anything, right? The soldiers, the leaders, the rebels, they would never agree on anything. They would never even talk to one another, but they sure see eye to eye right now. The cross is stupid. And the one dying on it right now cannot be the chosen one. And friends, it's been like that ever since. You all know people, maybe you are a person. Maybe you're a person who right here thinks the cross is stupid. And I get it. I'm not here to bash you for believing that it's stupid. Because you know what? You're not alone. 
The cross says that God is infinitely holy, that you're a sinner, and that sin has to be paid for. And as secular people, we don't buy that. Law, guilt, rules, we're past that. We're modern people. This is stupid. And the cross also says that God's grace is absolutely free, that anybody who wants it can have it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, you're, you know, an ex-con or squeaky clean. It doesn't matter where you grew up. You grew up Muslim. You grew up secular. You grew up in a dysfunctional home and, and you were abused as your parents and so you've got all kinds of problems and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You had the perfect life. You, were, you had an, 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 a dream upbringing. That grace is available to you too. You know, conservative traditional people, they don't like the idea that grace is available to everybody. Really, underneath it all, what they, what they like is the idea that they've kind of earned it. And so everybody agrees, the cross is stupid. <laughs> Makes no sense. But what this also shows us is that we all have equal access to the Savior. Right? Because you got soldiers, you got religious people, you got pastors by, you got criminals. They're all passing by looking at this cross. And this cross tells them, You are a wicked sinner. You're worse than you think you are because the Son of God had to die for you. But it also tells you that you are more loved than you could ever, ever even dare want to believe possible. Because the Son of God is willing to die for you. Do you not see that in the cross? You're a sinner, okay. But you are so, so loved. And you know what? Luke says that at one point, while he's dying, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Who is he saying that about? Which group? We don't know. Because it's all of them. It's all of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the love of Jesus. Thank you that even when everybody rejected him, he stayed on that cross. If there's anybody here who doesn't know what that's like, to know that in their heart, show it to them now, we ask. And for the rest of us, May we believe it. That's it. That's all. That's everything. In Jesus we pray. Amen.